Well, you know, all of us eat, drink, and sleep risk. So yes, as you form these layers, you should certainly be thinking about risk. But there's some of it that to me is just basic. You got to have your governance. You got to have your regulations. They're going to tell you a lot of what you 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 have to do. I'm not going to walk through the whole cake again. But the reason I put it here is because there's not a CISO in the world that will say I've got all the time, resources, and money that I need. Don't give me any more. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Brian Lieber, Global Practice Lead for the Public Sector at Worldwide Technology. Brian has been a CISO, he has managed cybersecurity consulting teams, he has served as a consultant and an architect, and he's even worked with the Department of Homeland Security. Brian and I ran into each other in a professional capacity, and I was impressed with his ability to distill complex cybersecurity topics down to easy-to-ingest architectures, models, and frameworks. So I asked him to come on to the show to talk about his nine-layer cake model for cybersecurity foundations. Brian, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. I'm... Honored to be here, Alan. I've listened to many of your podcasts. And of course, as you said, we've met and worked together professionally. And I'm looking forward to having a conversation about my favorite kind of cake, the nine layer security cake. Right on. So so let's talk about this. A cake is built up one layer at a time. Obviously, you have to start at the bottom and build your way up. You can't just bake all nine layers and throw them at the pan. So what is layer one on your cake? Well, layer one, as you said, the cake builds from the bottom up. You got to have a foundation before you can do anything else. And the foundation of any information security management system, stealing a term from ISO 27000, is your governance layer. And of course, today we need to relate that back to the business of the customer. So if you can look at your governance, your regulatory, your awareness and training, and if you can map all that back to the requirements of the business, that's when you've got your firm foundation for your nine layers. I love it. So, all right. So we start with the governance. Um, Second layer then, um, and I'm guessing like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking of NIST CSF and CIS V8 and all these guys that say, you know, know what you have before you go on to securing what you have, right? Uh, My old boss, Steve Williams over at NTT, I stole this one. I quote him all the time on this one, has uh, see it, manage it, secure it. The idea is you can't manage it if you can't see it, can't secure it if you can't manage it, right? You got to see it first. And so to that end, I am going to guess right after you've got your overarching governance and awareness and training and regulatory drivers and all that good stuff that you've got some kind of asset inventory. Absolutely. Visibility is the next layer. And just like your little uh phrase that you threw out there, I like to call it the battlefield. You know, every good general knows you've got to be able to see the battlefield, and that includes your network visibility, your mobile visibility, your PC and server visibility, and your ICS and IoT visibility. And if you're missing any one of those, then you might have a metaphorical door open to your warehouse of crown jewels and not even know it's there because it's not under management. I love it. So it's all about true visibility. So, all right, so mobile, network, PC server, and IoT, you even mentioned. Of course, ICS would be, I guess, part of that too, depending on the industry, right? Um, Okay, so now we have a program. We have our governance. We have our regulatory. We have layered on top of that an asset visibility. Next would be a pivot, uh, I'm assuming, into what would be our next pivot? What's our next layer? What's layer three? Data. 
You know, because as much as we talk about the assets, we really don't care about the assets. If an asset has the bus schedule or the marketing slicks on it, you know, so what? If you want to hack that and distribute that on Pastebin, thank you. Uh, it's all about where's the critical data, the regulated data, the PII data, PCI data, some sort of critical data that you have to protect. And it's also about the classification. You can start out generic, high, medium, and low and the business owner for the data. IT does not own the data. A business owner needs to own the data. And that facilitates into your cybersecurity steering committee and everything else. Legal rep for legal data, HR rep for HR data, et cetera. Where's the data? All right. So that's our inventory. Um, we've also got, uh, and, and I guess you spoke to ownership there as well, really, with, you know, hey, who, who actually owns it versus who's the custodian or the steward or the, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of the CISSP exam and all the... Uh, all the, all the data terms they use. But at the end of the day, classification, it, it, you know, just this low, medium, high, like help, help me understand I'm an existing enterprise, let's say. I'm a big shop. And I'm now to layer three, and I know data is what matters, and data is what I have to do. How do I get started? How do I do an inventory? How do I do classification? Like, like walk me through some of the physics of what I've actually got to pull off. And that is tough. And that's why so many companies don't have a data inventory. They don't have a retention schedule. They retain everything forever. And it really causes cost and complexity to their program. And so there is no perfect answer here, but there's, and, and this isn't about a product, even though I'm going to name one as an example, but a product like Net, Netrix Auditor, uh, where you can create expressions and you can search for data types. You know, all of the data inventory tools out there know how to find credit card numbers and they know how to find zip codes. But honestly, this is an adventure. You got to play with those regular expressions or whatever your tool uses to begin diving into data. And once you start finding that data, you know, then you can modify and improve your search algorithms. Uh, but the most important thing is get started. You know where the database is that has the PII in it. You may not know where all the sprawl is, but you know where the sources are. So crawl, walk, run. Start with the sources. Get better and better and better until you're digging down to the individual shared drives where that data shouldn't be. Okay. Okay. And I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned Netrix. I guess we'll go ahead and throw some more product names on the table since we kind of crossed that line already. Like I'm, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, in the past I've used Bolden James. I've used Titus. I've used some of these more larger and complex tools that in, in theory discover and find and auto classify based on content and these other kinds of cool features that they, that they have that, you know, the, the, your mileage may vary kind of thing on all those tools. Right. But, um, but I think that um, one, one of the other pieces we have is, um, you know, templates, right? Like, like for new data. In other words, I think a lot of people go straight for the tool. They go for the discovery. They go for the regular expression. They go for the hunt, the wampus, and they start listing the wampuses out. And okay, great. You get full points for all that. But meanwhile, somebody is firing up a Word doc template uh, of a standard memo, for example, and they're issuing a memo and emailing it to somebody, or they're opening a standard fax cover page template or whatever the various templates might be in Word. And then you get PowerPoint, marketing presentations. There's a standard template. Any kind of internal presentation to the company, there's a standard template. One piece of advice I always try to give folks is don't forget those templates and just do something really simple like default to a relatively high security on every page, label it and tag it, you know, company confidential or whatever your, your rating, you know, ranking system is, small, medium, large, you know, high, medium, low, whatever you want to call it. But, but note down one that's relatively, 
you know, restricted so that by default people are, are thinking about that stuff and have to consciously choose to make it less restrictive. And all new data that gets generated kind of falls into that category because those tools can search for those tags and those templates just as easily as it can search for anything else. That's just that's always my one tip I try to remind people is don't forget as you're creating new things to create templates that are already leading towards this new world of classification. I love it. Iron sharpens iron. You're t- you're teaching me something that I hadn't thought about the templates much. Obviously, you think about email and you think about catching things as they're going out with a with a net. Uh, but I'm going to take that tip away, Alan, about templates. Right on, right on. All right, so we've done our governance, we've done our assets, and now we've gotten to data, which to me is like. Like you said, it's it's the actual crown jewels. It's what we're actually protecting. But now we have to pivot and get into the various mechanisms around how we protect these things. Uh, and I'm thinking of, in particular, um, I've, I've got a, as of the time of this recording, in two nights, I'm going to be participating in this digital fight club event in Dallas. And um, the topic I was chosen with my other debater was zero trust. So I'm arguing that zero trust is real and that it is implementable and valid and viable, even even though there is lots of marketing hubbub and, and stupidity around it, that it is, in fact, still a real thing. He's arguing that it's not. And in my argument that it is real, one of the most critical and pivotal, pivotal pieces to it is identity and access management, that, that that is at the absolute heart and core of any good zero trust strategy. And I'm assuming now that we've already tackled governance, we've tackled assets, we've tackled data, I'm going to guess that your layer four is identity and access management as well. You are sharp as a tack as always, Alan. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I'm going to give you some ammo for your for your fight coming up on zero trust. So once you know your assets and your data, obviously, who should have access and do they have it or and should they? Principle of least privilege and all that stuff. But on the zero trust, we've overcomplicated it. And I'm going to give you my ideas very, very quick and simple. You have resources, whether you call them applications, whether you call them workloads, whether you call them whatever you term them in your industry, you have those resources. Then you have subjects, people who need identity and access to those resources. And zero trust is simply any policy enforcement engine, appliance, application in between that can allow or deny access based on a set of criteria that that you put forth in the policy engine. And it's that simple. And then where people overcomplicate it is once you need that IAM access to that device, you're going to have a device, you're going to have an identity, you're going to be accessing data across infrastructure and network, and you're going to seek to automate it. So I think I left one out, but those are your pillars there. So zero trust is absolutely a thing. What is not a thing is the ridiculous FUD ways that all these pundits have told us to do it that are overly complex. Right, right. At at the end of the day, to me, zero trust just sums up neatly to trust insiders as much as you trust outsiders, right? That's that's it. And and how do I trust but verify, right? Well, I trust but verify by identity and access management for the human, by some kind of health check, certificates, whatever it might be for the endpoints. Uh, machine to machine might be, you know, uh, application to application might involve some key exchange, you know, these kinds of things. Basically, just make everybody auth Z and auth N all the time, always with each interaction. That's it. To me, that's the that's the simple definition of zero zero trust. Auth Z and auth N as often as possible whenever an interaction between an asset or a data and an entity occurs for any value of entity, human or machine. 
Well, I'm looking forward to this. That sounds like it's going to be a good fight. I think there's going to be several rounds. I think we're going to see a couple of cuts and, and maybe <laughs> even a knockout. So keep me apprised on the fight club. I just, I've, I've promised I'm not going to pull a Mike Tyson and bite anybody's ear off. That's where, uh, that's where we're drawing the line. We're keeping it civil. Important to draw the line at the ears. Yes. You have to, you have to, a, a, a man has to have morals and standards and, and know where the line is. Right. Absolutely. All right. So identity and access, we got it. So we've done assets, we've done data, we've done identity and access management. Now we're going to pivot into uh, layer five, which I don't know. What is your layer five? Uh, I'm thinking of day-to-day activities at this point. Like, like at some point we have to start monitoring and measuring what we're doing, right? Sure. Well, this is where it gets really interesting. And this is where good practitioners might deviate. I don't think any of us would deviate that governance is first. You got to have your playbook, your controls, whatever you're going to use. Then you need your visibility. Then you need your data. Then who should have access? Now we diverge into a little bit of opinion. But my opinion is the next most important thing is threat and vulnerability management. I remember all the way back in 2014, Verizon came out in their data breach study and said 99.9% of all breaches are from a known uh, problem. And most of the time there's been a patch out for more than a year. So I tell people, if you can do nothing else, patch, 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 and threat hunt. So the next layer in my cake is threat and vulnerability management. Okay. So threat management and vulnerability management, you lump in together as a layer. That's interesting to me because threat management, you know, threat hunting, I've always seen as a slightly more uh, sophisticated effort. In other words, everybody should be doing vuln management. Threat hunting is once you've gotten a handle on the maturity of your program and you've gotten a few other things under your belt and you're putting them sort of together, which actually they're complementary. That does make a lot of sense to me. I hadn't never thought about layering those two together. I would always put threat down the road a little more versus vulnerability, but it makes sense to me. What's the, what's the relationship between those two in your mind? I totally agree. And for each of these layers, there's going to be a crawl, walk, run. And so the crawl phase and even the walk phase is definitely just your run of the mill standard everyday patching. And then as you get really good at that, then of course you start proactively threat hunting. You start subscribing to some threat feeds, but that's probably the quicker, more simple answer is today. It's so easy to subscribe to a threat feed from your next generation firewall provider or somebody like that. That's not the same as super advanced threat hunting, but you can couple in some threat intelligence, usually with just a license and paying an extra fee on one of your EDR or next generation firewall tools. Right on, right on. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to challenge something with your model because we have gone through one, two, three, four, five layers of the delicious nine layer security cake. And there's a super key word that hasn't appeared yet. And it's, it's a word that some would argue has to be layer one, which is risk, the risk itself. So I'm guessing by now risk is coming into your cake. And I want to know why is it uh, this late in the cake versus why isn't it the very first layer? Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no-brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. 
Well, you know, all of us eat, drink, and sleep risk. So yes, as you form these layers, you should certainly be thinking about risk. But there's some of it that to me is just basic. You got to have your governance. You got to have your regulations. They're going to tell you a lot of what you 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 have to do. I'm not going to walk through the whole cake again. But the reason I put it here is because there's not a CISO in the world that will say I've got all the time, resources, and money that I need. Don't give me any more. So at some point in your program, you have to prioritize, and that prioritization should be based on risk. Again, if I have a server that's got the marketing and the bus slicks and the lunch schedule you know, sorry, bus schedule. (laughs) I I got my words tangled there, but you get the point. If you got a server that's got nothing important on it, then it's low risk. I don't want to spend time and money for my advanced cyber capabilities on that. So at some point, risk has to come in. And this is the hard pill for a CISO to swallow. You cannot protect every single asset. You've got to prioritize. Now, obviously, long-term, we hope that we're closing all the doors and windows and we're protecting everything. But if the marketing server gets popped and the bad guy puts out my latest and greatest marketing campaign on the pace bin, again, like I said earlier, thank you. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So risk is a lens through which we deal with all the layers. But what you're saying is layer six is a formalized risk management program where you're actually doing your time and resources and money and and all the things you have to do for a formal risk management program. So this is where... The management of the risk register, the disposition of the risk, the conversations with the business, like that's that's what you're saying is layer six is is by this point you should be you should be into a formalized program as opposed to, yeah, we got a risk lens when we're talking assets. We got a risk lens when we're talking data, we got a risk lens when we're talking identity and access management. So is that is that kind of the pivot? Is that how I'm understanding it? Absolutely, because if you don't know the assets, you you won't know the risk. If you don't know the data on the asset, you won't know the risk. If you don't know whether your high power users and your power users and your admins are connecting it, you won't know the risk. If it's not got any threats coming at it from your threat and your threat hunting, you won't know the risk. So by the time you get to this layer, that's when you've really collected all the data and built the programs that can allow you to make a mathematical risk decision, Bayesian, if you will, that is informed and influenced. Okay, that makes perfect sense. That's a great way to put it, that the others are all variables to understanding risk. You can't quantify risk until you've got the other variables in hand, basically. Absolutely. If you don't know if a server contains sensitive data or an application or a workload, then you're not going to know what its risk is. Yeah, you can't quantify the risk level on that. It's just an unknown box. That's perfect. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. All right, excellent. So, all right, we've gone through all of this. We're now into a formal risk management program. Um, Change management. This is the documentation layer, and I affectionately call it change management and configuration management, but this is also your GRC, same as what we just talked about. Now, it's not the base GRC that we talked about, but this is where you get into a snow or you get into an RSA archer, you get into a lock path, if I'm remembering my names correctly. This is where you start documenting changes, documenting configurations, saving config files, uh, all that accumulated data of what is this asset, what type of data is on it, who has access, what's its risk level. Now somewhere you need to document that in a system so that when you get to our our, our layer that shall not be named yet, because I don't want to take my own thunder, when something happens, you can pull up all that data and you can know what you're looking at. 
So this is the documentation layer that I affectionately refer to as change management, CMDB, configuration management. Okay, so this is this is a post-risk measurement, risk quantification exercise where you're basically, this is this is almost like the evidentiary piece to it. Write it all down. If you haven't, if you haven't, if you've done all that work and while you're doing that work, you haven't saved it in some sort of a snow or GRC of some kind, it's obsolete. It's already almost obsolete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. That makes perfect sense. And it, and it's and it's proof too. When the audit comes along, it's your it's your audit proof, right? You can just pull that up and say, and here's how we know we've got this level of risk because we've got these configs set and we've set this parameter and we know we're protected. Um, but it's also tracking changes over time. If you see if you see changes occurring on key systems that you've identified as holding key data, right? Like that's you know that's another one, right? Like that's that's something you have to stop and think about and say. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't go changing that. Exactly. And uh, it's also the layer that you go to almost all of the Fortune 500 where you and I work, and we ask them about this, and there's a grave weakness usually in this area. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. Um, it ends up being, um, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. It's the guy chasing after the ice cream truck, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Who doesn't want some ice cream? <laughs> yeah, we all want some ice cream. But meanwhile, we're running behind the truck, shouting and waving our hands, and the truck is pulling away. The ice cream part of things. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, the guy driving the truck can't hear us because the stupid music is playing. <laughs> There's our metaphor all the way. All right. So layer eight, um, I'm thinking monitoring and integrity now. I'm I'm thinking keeping the eye on the shop. We've we've captured it all. We've even documented it all. Now we need some method and means to say, is it really the thing that we documented? Has it changed when it got on? You know, from what we documented, is that is that where I'm at now? Alerting, analytics, logging. What are we doing here? Absolutely, and and like you called out on risk, you should have been thinking about this all along. But this is perhaps the hardest part of the information security management system, and people fail here. They don't tune their appliances to send only the correct logs. They don't correlate. They don't cross-reference, and they don't have good ways of getting the hay out of the way to see the needles. So by the time you've worked through all those things, again, without repeating, you've got the assets, you've got the data, it's now time to set up your telemetry around those things. What's on my network? What's it doing? Should it be? And am I getting the signals, the, the meaningful, actionable metrics out of each of those devices that I've set up for each of those other layers to be able to act? I love that. And, and I'm going to add my two cents on that one, which is people get a universal time source in your shop and make sure that everything that logs and everything that cross-references and everything that correlates for everything Brian just said has the same timestamp. There is nothing worse than getting into an IR situation and having to figure out, wait a minute, this one's 1400, this one's 200. Where, where's this one located? Is this, is that, is 1400, 200 or is that, and trying to figure out if these events correlate or if one's after the other, if one's before the other, like, I've been there before on the fly in, in the dark room, you know, with the lights flashing, um, trying to, trying to cross-reference non-timestamp logs, get universal time. Uh, I'm sorry. That's my little soapbox moment. I was about to say, I hear the voice of experience there where you've been on an incident and something was offset by a time zone or just a messed up time server somewhere. And it caused all sorts of confusion with your chain of what happened when when it happened. Oh, and putting together your IR report and the whole bit. It's just, it's its insane. It's absolutely insane if you don't have consistent I heard the pain. Yep. All right, so that covers the 
first eight layers, we have the magic, mysterious ninth layer of the cake. Brian Liebert, what is the ninth layer of the cybersecurity the cake? Ninth, yep. If you ever call Alan and I and you get a visual of this, you'll see the layers build just like you would expect, you know, cake, 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 frosting, etc. The placemat underneath it all, the plate that the cake sits on is incident response. And this is the most critical part because proportionately, if you have a weakness in any of these layers, your incident response is going to be proportionately that much weaker. Something happens and you can't say what asset it's on. More importantly, you can't say which data is on that asset. You can't say who has access to it. You can't give it a risk level. So incident response, and that's the most important thing for a Fortune 500 company. When the famous breach of Target happened, at the exact same time, P.F. Chang had a similar breach. But we don't talk about P.F. Chang. And my opinion, and it's only an opinion, I can't prove it, is P.F. Chang handled that incident so well. They immediately admitted they had an incident. They immediately hired Mandiant. They immediately notified their public exactly what happened. And if I remember correctly, they even stopped taking credit cards in their restaurants for a few days while they got it under control. Now, that's just a little example. You're trusting my memory here, folks. If I've screwed it up, don't call Alan and beat us up. But the bottom line of that story is a proper incident response kept them out and off the tongues of consultants for the next 20 years. And a, a tough incident response, which there was a lot of good reasons why the target incident response was tough. We won't get into those, but a tough incident response keeps you in the news. So the uh, ninth layer is is perhaps the most important layer of the cake. I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's funny. When I put together a brand new program for a brand new client, like I, they've never had a CISO before, I'm walking in the door as their first CISO. I always tell them we're going to tackle two things simultaneously right away. The first one is we're going to get our body of policy going so we actually kind of have a, a goal and a direction and know where we're headed. And the other one is we're going to start working on our incident response plan right here, day zero. Because the last thing you want is to get your policies going, start getting your tech stack going, start getting your governance, your risk measurement, and all the other things going. Go through these first eight layers of this cake, and the incident occurs, and you haven't prepped for it at all, and you're completely left hanging. Like, I prep for IR literally day zero. The same day I'm cranking policies, I'm already working on IR procedure. Because it's going to hit when it's inconvenient. It's always going to hit when it's inconvenient. It's never like the bad guys never call and say, hey, how does next Sunday at 2 o'clock sound, you know? You just triggered me, Alan, the rule book and the referee. Yes. The rule book is the governance and policy, and the referee is the guy that can throw the flag when an incident occurs. Exactly. And I, I saved a teaser for you today, Alan. Are you ready for the but wait, there's more, a magical 10th layer to the cake? Uh, it's sprinkles. It's chocolate sprinkles. Uh, you're, you're close. Um you know, I was thinking about the nine-layer cake. I've been using the nine-layer cake. I've been in the industry almost 30 years. That means I'm experienced, not old. And and the, the whole reason the nine-layer cake came about is we needed a board-level way to take the, the hundreds of controls in NIST 853, the, the fewer controls in NIST CSF, finally all the way down to CIS 18 controls. I still needed it to be smaller, and I came up with nine. So I'm very reluctant to add layers, but I realized the most important layer that's not there, it sits down there on the plate, on the placemat with IR, is what are your tools that support each of these areas? What tools do you have for your governance? What tools do you have for your assets? 
because we know our clients have hundreds of tools, tens of tools, 20s tools. They have too many tools and they're not getting the value out of them. So when you perfect this nine layer, when you go through it, you also need to do what I call a tools rationalization. You need to say, what tools am I using for asset? Are they effective? Are they deployed correctly? Are they doing it right? Are they economical? And let's take a look. Then the data tools, same thing. Are they effective? Are they economical? Does my staff understand how to use them? So the magical new 10th layer is which tools are you using across each of these items and are they optimized? I'm going to argue that one's not a layer. Have you watched those baking shows where they do those highly complicated cakes and they have to shove a tube down through the middle of the cake to hold it all together? I like it. It's It's the the structure. It's the structure because it touches every layer. Every layer is dependent upon it, and it's what holds everything together, right? I love it. I'm I'm going to copy that. I'm going to steal the, that. It's the tube holding the multiple layer cake. Because by the time you've hit nine layers, your cake's getting wobbly, dude. Let's admit it. Yeah, because I started to call it the fondant, and you know, I said that'll just show. I've watched too much, you know, Ace of Cakes, and you know, exactly. We're into uh, we're into nailed it around here. Yeah, the there amateur you go. baking show. It's hysterical. All right. Well, Brian Liebert. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch and sharing your delicious nine layer security cake with us. I can already taste it. Mm-mm-mm. Nine layers of security. Uh, absolutely. You can't go wrong with a nine layer cake. Just the right ratio of frosting to cake to cybersecurity. Did you think you were going to get that on the ranch today? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. This is a total win. Well, thank you again, Brian. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>